Welcome to the Grow Your Practice podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Chad Madden, owner of Madden Physical Therapy and Breakthrough. Join me each week as we dive into the best practices, systems, principles, tips, and tricks to help you grow your private practice. Increase profits in 2024 with this secret weapon. There's not a lot of time left in the year. Have you started thinking about your annual practice plan? There's one thing you need to do first before you get started. Most owners don't take the time to do this and as a result, miss out on thousands of dollars in profit, if not more. Want to create an annual plan that results in more profitability? Then you need to do a profit plan. You don't have to settle for pitiful profits. Owners like Varel, Peg, and Jeff have used the profit planner to gain visibility into their finances and forecast profits. In their own words, we would have been out of business by January. It saved my clinic. To get the profit planner and watch the complete video showing you how to use it, go to getbreakthrough.com forward slash profit now. It's getbreakthrough.com forward slash profit now. Next thing we're going to cover is the five financial IQs in Robert Kiyosaki's book, Increase Your Financial IQ. As I shared with you earlier, this is my favorite in the uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad series, uh, which now I think is more than 30 books, uh, but I think it has uh, the best information in it. And if you're already somewhat familiar with uh, most financial terms, I think you can you know, breeze through uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and also the Cash Flow Quadrant. This is, I think, the most important book that uh, will help you connect the dots. And uh, the other thing that I like about it is um, it, it has some really advanced material in it, but yet it gives you just about everything. So there's a lot of stuff in here that I don't uh, necessarily use on a day-to-day basis. There's a lot of stuff that nails exactly what I do, uh, but let's get started with that and I'll share some uh, uh, just how I personally apply the material in this book. So financial IQ number one is making more money. And you know the the easiest way to do it, at least when uh, we came out of school. I remember um, my really long story, but uh, my wife and I. She was working for uh, the diocese at the time. I was not Catholic. We decided to have a non-Catholic wedding, and basically, she lost her position because uh, we were having a non-Catholic marriage. So, kind of a weird story, but anyhow. The answer right away, to, you know, trying to solve that problem at uh, 24, 25 years old was I would take on another job. And I think, you know, as we get into uh, middle class thinking here a little bit later on, uh, that's that's the common thing. The way to increase income is just to trade more time for money. So not only would I work, you know, during the day as a physical therapist on my half days or my off days, which would be the weekends, I would go and do home health or work at the local hospital or you know, work somewhere per diem. And I think that's, uh, it's a mistake. And what I found uh, to be much better is uh, figuring out how to solve problems and specifically solving it within the market. So uh, the one line that I, I pulled from the book that I think is fantastic is solving problems are the path to wealth. And the best way to do that is to create an asset, which can be uh, um, stocks, bonds, notes, real estate, intellectual property that solves problems within the marketplace. And the common barrier is, um, you know, for most of us, and I I remember somebody saying this specifically uh, right around the time I was like 23, 24, very young and impressionable. And it was uh, 
uh, a friend of mine, his father, uh, I, I think his income was around a million dollars a month, if I remember the figures exactly. And he had been doing that for years, like 25, 30 year history of being a, a multimillionaire. And, uh, you know, it, he said something very similar to this. And it was basically, you know, everybody wants the, you know, I think he had a Lamborghini at the time or, you know, the, uh, the big, beautiful homes, they owned an Island. They had homes all over the country. Like most people want the money or they want the, the nice things. Very few people want to do what he did on a day-to-day basis, which was, uh, you know, stay up late at night, solving business problems, get up early in the morning, uh, lots of travel in there, uh, lots of speaking, lots of studying, very disciplined lifestyle. Most people don't want to go through that or they don't have the discipline to go through that. And, you know, the, the way that you can see that play out is lotto winners or we'll talk about here in a second, but um, I, I, the number of NBA players who declare bankruptcy is alarmingly high and it's within uh, one or two years after they retire from the league. And the, the basic idea is this, as you go through the process and as you're solving bigger and bigger problems in the marketplace and increasing your worth within the marketplace and gaining wisdom along the way, again, we'll talk about this a little more in depth here in a second, but as you're doing that, you're gaining wisdom. And what that teaches you how to do is handle money. Most people never go through that. They're just looking for that, wow, if I just took this you know, one course and I got this certification, then everything's solved. That never happens. It, it's a journey. It's a process. It's moving in the right direction. And what happens is um, as you get more and more responsible, more and more knowledge and more and more control over cash flow and learning how to build businesses and uh, purchase real estate, if you're going to go that route or purchase gold and silver or whatever your path to wealth is, the more you study it, the more responsibility you get. And the more you're worth in the marketplace and money behaves accordingly. It's almost like money kind of has a mind of its own. And for people um, that don't respect it, again, we'll nail this when I get to the lessons of my uh, three mentors here. But what happens is, you know, the lotto winners and uh, professional athletes, they've never been trained in how to handle money. They've never had to solve that problem. They've just had this endless cash flow or this huge lump sum that they get, they didn't do necessarily anything to earn that other than buy a lotto ticket in the case of the lotto winner, or in the case of the professional athlete, they've worked, you know, hard, very hard at their skill, but that there's no translation at all into handling money. So uh, they have this huge amount of cash flow, have never developed the skills of how to handle money, have never climbed that ladder, no long-term assets other than their own ability. And once that's gone, uh, it's gone. And then what frequently happens is they have these huge expenses. They, you know, thought the money was going to last forever. And now that that hasn't happened and they can't adjust quickly enough. So the thing that you want to do is focus on making more money on the right side of that cash flow quadrant, which is basically building assets. Uh, as I shared earlier, uh, something that was impressed upon me very early on was make money in what you know how to do. Uh, live on as little of it as you need and invest the remainder in real estate. Financial IQ number two is protecting your money. 
And in the book, they list, I believe, seven different bees. I'm going to go over the five that I'm at least aware of uh, and that I'm the most cautious of. First one is bureaucrats. That's uh, lawmakers. Uh, by the way, uh, always remember this. Our country was founded on, uh, was founded by landowners. And the tax laws, when you fully understand it, and I, I, I'll give you a huge disclaimer here. Sit down with your CPA and understand this first. But um, earned income is taxed differently and at a much higher rate than portfolio income or passive income. The one example that I'll get into here showing you in real estate is, you know, I've been t able to take um, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars out of my commercial real estate portfolio uh, and pay zero taxes. And, you know, you might ask, is that even legal? It's very legal. And, uh, you know, there, there's <laughs> been a constant hit that that is going to go away. Uh, I can tell you right now that will never go away. Um, there's, there's too much pull from large landowners or people that own huge amounts of commercial realty um, that basically what would happen if there were laws that were passed against that, um, against if uh, capital gains were taxed at a much higher rate, then people would just take their money elsewhere, meaning other countries. And it's just the government is not always the smartest, but they're definitely not wanting to repel huge commercial landowners. And by the way, passive income on, uh, I believe, capital gains is taxed at about 15%. Earned income is basically taxed at 37 to 40%. Uh, by the IRS. So huge difference there. If you make $100,000 in earned income, you're paying 37 grand in taxes roughly. If you make $100,000 in passive income, you're paying 15 grand. I'd, I'd rather pay 15 grand and have 85 left over than pay 37 grand and have 63,000 left over. Um, the other one is, or the next, the second B is bankers. And the thing that I highly advise, um, I had uh, one of our physical therapists told me about the book another friend did, uh, who's extremely intelligent in business. Uh, they told me to read this book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, and it basically takes you through um, the, uh, it, it, it's almost like a factual conspiracy theory, uh, but it, it's about the Federal Reserve, and it's about how the Federal Reserve um, controls money and basically is just skimming off of your hard-earned money. Uh, it, it's a must read. Uh, it's amazing how that came into existence in the early 1900s and how it still exists today. Um, but it, it's a must read if you're looking to really understand the money game and solve the money problem long term. And it's after reading that book, it's one of the reasons I started buying. I, I buy silver on a very consistent basis um, and I don't keep it long term, but I buy low, sell high, and then look for business or piece of commercial real estate to invest in when, when I, after I sell high. Uh, next thing is uh, brokers. And um, so basically that is uh, like a uh, stockbroker who, you know, or a financial advisor, you know, there's a game in it for them. And I know um, I get really frustrated. Um, I only have about 10% of my entire uh, liquid portfolio right now in my simple IRA account or my, it, it's a 401k equivalent for smaller businesses. 
And, you know, I, I get upset that I can't easily distinguish what their fees are, but their fees are in there and they're pretty substantial. So that's another way that, um, you know, you can really lose a lot of money. The, the one thing that I've done repeatedly is just interview extensively your brokers. And I, I found one who I trust, uh, grew up with his family, know his wife, you know, his four children, his parents, uh, his in-laws as well. And, you know, very much trust him because what he is telling me to do, he actually does. And he shows me that. That's a, that's a key. Um, most brokers or a large portion of brokers don't actually do what they're telling you to do. Um, you want a broker that does that. Uh, the other thing I'll share with you when we get into my three mentors here, my one of my mentors is uh, an insurance and financial investment broker, and he's has a very successful 55, 60 year career in that. And what he tells me to do, he also does. Um, and then what I do is I take ideas back and forth and bounce them off. Hey, you know, Drew is telling me to do this. Hey, Ernie's telling me to do this. What do you think about that? And just get their input. Kind of pit them against each other in a competitive way. Um, but just so that I understand as much as possible with my uh, little P physical therapy brain, how the financial markets work and exactly what they're telling me to do. Um, again, I always err on, so I shared with you 10% of my portfolio roughly is, uh, it with other people and their brokers that I trust 90% of my money is under my direct control, either in businesses that I own or partially own, um, or, uh, real estate that I own partially own or in a money market fund that I can run down the street and grab in a second if I need to, when I recognize the right opportunity or in silver in my mattress. That's a joke. Okay, so uh, the next one is uh, businesses, and you know, realize that if uh, so, for example, you know, most of us at some point are going to buy a vehicle, and or we're going to lease a vehicle, and just recognize that you know, unless you're walking in and paying cash or you're getting zero percent financing, that the game is uh, for that auto manufacturer to get as much money income as possible out of the sale of that vehicle. So, you know, frequently there are, are very compelling leasing options where there are compelling um, finance rates. And even if it's they're earning, you know, 2% on their money, that 2% is coming from somewhere and it's coming from your pocket. Uh, so I know, you know, for a while, auto financing was uh, 7, 8, 9%. Again, that's a game that goes against you and your pocketbook. And uh, not you protecting your money. It's a, it's a threat to your money and it's basically skimming off of, uh, your account. And again, your hard earned money. Another one is, uh, attorneys. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I guess right now, three attorneys who I go to on a routine basis, uh, depending on what area that I'm looking for advice in. I keep the conversations pretty quick <laughs> and uh, we get right to the point. But, you know, having uh, one or two attorneys on your team who you trust, probably one for employment law if you're an employer. Um, and so we have one that we've consulted uh, on an as needed basis for uh, commercial real estate issues. 
but you want somebody who's knowledgeable, you want somebody who's in the game, and that they specialize in whatever you're going to them for. So if it's employment law, I want a guy that's doing employment law 100% of the time. If I'm planning an estate, um, I want a guy that is doing exactly what he's telling me to do, and I want him to show me that he is doing estate planning. We use a guy here, uh, Mike Chiruka, who is very thorough, and that's just about the only thing that his uh, law practice does. So again, uh, you know, there are five areas that you at least want to be aware of in protecting your money. And the other two B's in the book were basically uh, your family. And uh, I'll share another piece of advice here as well. As you go along, when people see you doing certain things, so for example, uh, Steph and I for eight and a half years um, lived in a uh, in a neighborhood. And while it wasn't necessarily widespread, what happens when you live in a development or a neighborhood is people are uh, in your business, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And we wanted to get away from that. So, you know, if I want to go out and buy a GMC Denali um, SUV and I pay cash for it or I lease it for seven years or, you know, finance for seven years, like I don't really need somebody, I don't need my neighbor's judgment on that. I don't, uh, it's just not something that I'm looking for. Also, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner, at Christmas time, at family get togethers and family birthdays, I've learned to uh, just do very vague um, talk about how well or how poorly I'm doing, just because you, it, everybody has will have advice and opinions as you begin to get more and more successful. So as you go through your journey and you can solve bigger and bigger problems in the marketplace, and you become more and more valuable, valuable, the thing that will happen, and this has happened to me way too many times, somebody knows that I'm doing really well, hey, guess what I need? We need X amount of dollars to buy this new vehicle. We need X amount of dollars to take a vacation. We need, Or better yet, it's there's a really good reason that they need the money, and it, it's always compelling, but we just spent $7,000 on a vacation. So now, therefore, we need this money to buy, you know, for our child's education or whatever it is. You, you never want to lend. So my advice on family is you never want to lend money that burdens them in any way. Um, we've had, every time we've asked, been asked for money, I always use the same thing. Um, to the best of my knowledge, my wife is doing the same plan. Um, although I, I guess it's always possible. I, there's something that I wouldn't know about, but, um, you, you know, I never want to lend money in a way that burdens the other person. So usually what we'll say, if it involves our children is we'll say, you know, we're allowed to do uh five or I think it, the law, the tax law is $10,000 gift. Um, but I don't want to burden that person anyway. I'll give you $10,000 for their education, but you're not going to pay me back. Because I, I don't want to feel weird with that family member in any way. And by the way, nobody ever takes me up on that. Um, so it, it's it, just be very cautious about who you're sharing your wins with in business. You know, if um, if your brother-in-law is making thirty grand a year, and you know you're making three hundred grand a year, and he finds out, he's going to have some wild ideas for you, like opening up an RV park, which has literally happened to me. And brother-in-law was just, uh, that, that's used in the book. It could be your cousin, could be 
uh, an uncle, uh, an aunt, a uh, distant relative. Uh, they'll, they'll come out of the woodworks once they know you have money. Financial IQ number three is budgeting your money. So a budget is a plan for the coordination of your income and expenses. And um, learning how to budget for a surplus is the key to building and keeping wealth. So when you're looking at your income expense or your expenses, you can have one of two situations. One is your income is greater than your expenses. That's a surplus. The other one is your expenses are greater than your income, and that's a deficit. Uh, our government and just about any government that I've ever heard of uh, operates on a budget deficit. Uh, error. You don't want to do that. If if an individual, if a government does it, they just tax more. If an individual does it, they eventually declare bankruptcy if they do that too long. So that your goal is to operate on a surplus. And uh, the goal here, so what most people do is, like, let's say your take-home pay is $7,000 a month. And so that's your income. Um, and your expenses are $7,000 a month. And you have nothing left over at all. So there's no savings for tithing or donations. There's no savings for um, for life or asset building. And there's no savings for investment. So you have nothing at all to build assets with. Um, because the $7,000 a month has gone 100% to expenses. What wealthy people will do. Uh, actually, let's go to the next slide here. The the one point I want to make on this before we move on is if pr the priorities are straight and in alignment with what wealthy people do with people who build and keep wealth, um, what they do is they invest in the asset first and then they live on the remainder of the expenses. They don't do the expenses first and then hope something is left over to invest in assets. What that does. So let's say you're investing 20% of the $7,000. So $1,400 a month is going towards uh, savings for tithing, donations, life, and investment. Um, if you're doing that, what that does is that puts pressure on you to earn more income and increase your value within the marketplace and solve bigger problems. So yeah, moving on here, here's what the middle class does. Um, their number one priority is, uh, so poor and middle class, number one is employment security. And I think by now with the lessons of history, we realize there's very little security in employment. And it's because you're only relying on one relationship. You're basically standing on one leg. It's very unstable. Even with if you're with a Fortune 50 company and you've been there for 30 years, um, if if that employer decides they're they want to downsize or change directions and those plans don't involve you, you're out of income. So, but what middle class financial priorities are? Number one, get a high paying job. Number two is make the mortgage and car payments, and I think we could add in student loan payments there. Um, number three is pay bills on time, and then number four is save, tithe, and invest. Uh, again, tithing could be donations. Um, to the charities that you feel are best. But uh, again, the asset building is number four. And if we look at what um, people who have wealth, what they do is number one, it's uh, build an investment portfolio. So it may be in the stock market, it may be in commercial real estate, 
or residential real estate, uh, doing rentals, like a pretty fascinating story. What uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger did, uh, very touchy individual, but he built an absolute ton of wealth in the, I believe it was the late 60s, early 70s. He was sleeping on friends' couches and he owned a ton of uh, beach property wherever he was at um, in California. But he would just, everything that he was earning, he would go out and buy assets. So that was his number one priority and ended up doing uh, fairly well. So um, then you can go through there. Priority number two is professional satisfaction. So that's that they feel fulfilled with uh, their value and what they're delivering in the marketplace. Priority number three is savings. Priority number four is consumption for life's comfort. So uh, you can see the difference there in priorities. And um, the people who build wealth have their priorities in alignment with building assets first. And then it, it takes until we get to number four before they're worried about what type of car they're driving, what type of house they have, what type of clothes they have, etc. A little bit... Um, counterintuitive from what we normally think. We usually think the guy who is all focused about or lady who's, you know, focused about what she's wearing to the country club and her expenses, that's the person with money. And it's usually not that way. Or they at least have a high income, but they don't have any true long term wealth. Financial IQ number four is leveraging your money. So uh, you know, it's again capital gains versus cash flow. Like when I bought that building that I'll walk you through exactly what I did there. But when we bought that uh, building that was roughly 20,000 square feet. Uh, and by the way, that took that was took 10 years to get to that point to be able to do that. So my first building was 4,000 square feet. And we bought a 14,000 square foot building. And I bought the 20,000 square foot building. When I bought that building, I wasn't buying it for appreciation. I didn't want to flip it. Um, although I ended up holding it for about three years, which was pretty short term. Uh, but anyhow, I, I wasn't buying it for capital gains. Um, we really bought it for cash flow. And I just wanted to know, could I make my mortgage payment um, every month? And we had about, uh, on that property, $25,000 a month in rental income. And the mortgage payment was $13,000. So uh, while that left over a significant amount of money, um, each month to invest and in, reinvest in the property. That's exactly what I did. And I just kept paying down the notes for three years. Um, and by the way, on a $13,000 mortgage payment on a 20 year amortization, which we were on, um, and I think we were at four and a half or 5% interest rate. Um, we were able to pay the, the note down fairly quickly. So I'll go to the whiteboard and show you some specifics on that. And then uh, within the book, uh, he has he listed three real estate keys for commercial real estate. Um, good partners, which I, I agree. Um, I I'm kind of of the school of thought that uh, if I have partners, I I still want control. Like I, I <laughs> um, I'll work with partners if they're bringing something to the table that I don't necessarily have. Um, and I'll work with them if, you know, they're, if it's somebody that I, uh, what's a good way to put that? Like, I'm thinking want to take care of, but uh, like somebody that I want to work with and win together.
but um, I make it very clear from the beginning that like I want to control what is going on. We're not going to a vote or anything like that. That I um, that I want some control there. Um, another real estate key is good financing, and like for example, what I'll show you is on the property. The previous owner, because his loan was in def- default, he he was um, he had roughly a two million dollar note, and he was paying seven percent. Um, I had a two million dollar note and I was paying uh, under 5%. So that right there, two points on $2 million a year is $40,000 difference, uh, which is roughly um, $3,333 a month that the previous owner had to pay versus what I had to pay. So my mortgage payment was $13,000. His mortgage payment was $16,000. That's a really big deal long-term. And what I was able to do because I was able to get good financing because I was a good borrower and um, I showed really good uh, management and money uh, management history in the past with the smaller buildings that I owned. Uh, they gave me, I, I was less risky. They knew that I wasn't going to take all the money and any extra income that I had and go spend it, that I had other financial reserves and the one thing that you'll see is as you go along and you solve bigger and bigger problems in the marketplace, for example, like owning and providing commercial real estate to businesses and managing it in a way that's uh, conducive to growing a community, as you solve bigger and bigger problems, there are less and less players and uh, there's less and less competition. So, uh, you know, I'm not really into the market to buy, you know, thousand square foot townhomes and rent them out. That's not my deal. I have very strict line of commercial real estate uh, that, you know, when I buy a property and own a property of exactly what I'm looking for, and that's how we've been able to push our returns. Uh, I think I've averaged 28% over the last uh, 11 or 12 years uh, return on my investment, which is fairly good. So, but part of that is good financing and it's having a good track record that I'm not going to consume all the money that the property is generating. Another one is good management. So um, we, I've cheated on my properties in terms of I always went to a mentor who had owned, you know, literally a million square feet of commercial real estate. Ask him for advice repeatedly, um, and his uh, his best manager, and would basically follow anything that he told us to do. So if he was switching. You know, outside trash receptacles, we switched outside trash receptacles. When he went to the Honeywell 8000 programmable thermostat uh, for climate control within each suite, we did that as well. So, um, you know, I just, uh, you need somebody like that in your life where you can go to them with problems and they can say, here's what I would do in that situation. And then you can follow their lead, at least until you get your wings to some degree. And financial IQ number five is improving your financial information. And he lists uh, six different lessons here, and I think they're very valuable to go through. But the first one is facts versus opinions. You know, you can read uh, an opinion book like by Harry Dent, which is like the Roaring 2000s or the latest one one was the uh, Demographic Cliff. And, you know, just realize that as you're reading that, there may be facts within that, but Basically, it's an opinion. Like any time you see a projection, it's an opinion. And, you know, you want to do business and make decisions with 
facts. And again, it's much easier to control in industries that you know about. So that's going back to the lessons of the richest man in Babylon. Like, the, you know, I'm in healthcare. Um, if somebody brings me something in, you know, uh, space, aero engineering, or biotech, like, I don't know anything about that. So I'm not sure if it's fact or opinion. Um, but if something somebody brings something to me in healthcare, you know, I can quickly decipher whether it's a fact or an opinion and make a decision, um, uh, decision quickly and efficiently. Lesson number two is insane solution. You know, the, uh, I'm really hesitant on this, but, uh, you know, recently just made a connection with somebody when I was at a, uh, a business seminar in California and, um, you know, I, I ended up getting this, uh, phone call or a text about setting up a meeting and it's, you know, somebody who had, who's promising like, uh, a, a huge increase in revenue on the back end of my physical therapy business. And I said, well, that's great. You know, I'm willing to meet with you, but before we meet, I want you to give me material that I can go through and see what's fact and opinion. And they refused to do that. Well, guess what? <laughs> I, 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 I'm pitched constantly. You're pitched constantly. We all know that what's going to happen is, um, if I end up taking the meeting, the person's going to show up, they're going to have some insane solution about how I can, you know, switch my entire business over to cash pay and make, uh, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars or hand over fist money more than I am now. And guess I'm not going to do that. I, I, I'll either end the meeting quickly and abruptly, or, uh, likely my gut feeling right now is to not even take the meeting. So, um, beware of insane solutions, uh, things that just don't make sense. And along those same lines is, you know, lesson number three, risky actions. Uh, you know, the, if you want to talk risky, uh, I think nobody lives, uh, riskier than a professional poker player and, you know, why they can control a lot. There is still a lot of luck involved. And if you, I have a couple of friends that have played, professionally. And the one thing that I notice is the best professional poker players, they only, um, they only play with a very small portion. Of, they only have at risk a very small portion of their total. Um, their, they call it a bankroll. So if they have a hundred thousand dollar bankroll. They never have more than a thousand dollars at in play at any given time. They don't go out and play in a $15,000 tournament just because they have $100,000 saved. So um, the best ones, the ones that do it actually for a career, it's that same idea. Same thing here. Like I never invest 100% of what I have in any basket. It's kind of that idea of you don't want all your eggs in one basket. You can diversify amongst your own businesses, amongst your own properties, and not you know be completely reliant on pulling off one huge deal and trying to retire on that. Uh, don't chase that. It is a, it is a journey and it, the, I, you know, I love the term perseverance, uh, because it is, uh, you're going to need to persevere long-term to create wealth. It's not something that you can fake, you know, it, again, you can win the lotto and, you know, we've all heard the horrible lotto stories that, that happens. So if something looks like the lottery, uh, beware. Lesson number four is control over the asset. Again, if you know, I can give you money and invest in your business, or I can 
give me money and invest in my business. In almost every single scenario, I'm going to invest in my own business. I'd rather, you know, add a, a 800 square foot spa to the back end of my physical therapy products and create a monthly membership. I'd rather pay, uh, you know, two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollars traveling around, studying from industry experts, learning how to do that, rather than give ten thousand uh, dollars extra, you know, in my Ameritrade account and invest it in businesses that I'm not, that I have no control over. You want to do that same thing. So you want your money. It's not that I never invest in a mutual fund or anything like that. It's just that less than 10% of my money is in places that I can't immediately control. So again, I have about 10% of my money in a simple IRA. Uh, right now, half of that is invested in uh, mutual funds and bonds. Lesson number five is uh, what are the rules? You always want to know the rules on whatever game you're playing. So again, uh, you know, I have very specific rules for when I'm buying commercial real estate. One is from day one, that piece of commercial real estate must positive cash flow. So that's with all the expenses. That's assuming uh, my assumptions generally are 5% um, vacancy rate. So even if the building is completely leased out and my income expense pro forma, I'm still going to have in there a 5% vacancy rate. It's um, the other assumptions are on a 20 year amortization, five or five year fixed, which is very standard in commercial real estate. Um, also, I, I never lease and I don't want to buy property that is leased to uh, hair salons, nail salons, or restaurant food in any way, uh, even like a coffee house because of the smells. Um, I opt for B plus space, which is usually. Uh, nine foot ceiling. Um, it's usually like when you think a professional office space, that's what it is. So it's not a warehouse, um, usually a brick facade on the exterior, uh, high traffic area in between where moms, uh, live and where they shop at the grocery store. Uh, you know, if you can get between where moms live and target, you're in really, really good shape. Uh, because there will always be businesses that want to exist there. Um, I prefer professional clientele. And how I got to this was I just learned, I surveyed a, a real estate agent and I said, you know, what, um, who's most likely to pay full rent? What type of clients most likely to pay full rent? And he gave me a list of 10 and it was like, uh, um, attorneys, um, nursing agencies. So like, uh, home health, blood banks, things along those lines, uh, CPAs, financial advisors, uh, Oh, I'm blanking on some of the other ones. Oh, professional, including physical therapy, chiropractic, podiatry, dentistry. Uh, they're all uh, long-term clients. So if I have property and I have a space available, I want to lease it to somebody like that. Optometrist, uh, we've leased to Miracle Ear. Um, had a good experience so far with the UPS store. Uh, again, uh, yeah, CPAs, if I didn't say that already. Um, State planners, H and R Block, we've leased to as well. Uh, very good, long-term, favorable trend there, and they're not hard on the space. They have good clientele going in and out, and it helps me maximize my cash flow, which gives me um, extra money every month to pay down the uh, pay down the mortgage even more and increase the in intrinsic value of that asset. And uh, but they're 
but they're the rules that I use when I'm looking for property. I also want the the building to be the of the highest quality in its immediate area. So I want it to be like at the top of the market, not something that I'm rescuing from the bottom of the market, and that needs a ton of work. So they're the trends that I look for in uh, commercial real estate. Uh, again, financial IQ number five is improving your financial information. Increase profits in 2024 with this secret weapon. There's not a lot of time left in the year. Have you started thinking about your annual practice plan? There's one thing you need to do first before you get started. Most owners don't take the time to do this and as a result, miss out on thousands of dollars in profit, if not more. Want to create an annual plan that results in more profitability? Then you need to do a profit plan. You don't have to settle for pitiful profits. Owners like Varel, Peg, and Jeff have used the profit planner to gain visibility into their finances and forecast profits. In their own words, we would have been out of business by January. It saved my clinic. To get the profit planner and watch the complete video showing you how to use it, go to getbreakthrough.com forward slash profit now. It's getbreakthrough.com forward slash profit now.